Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and I'm currently drying some mugwort to make some dream-enhancing tea. This chat is with animation editor Stephanie Early, who's worked on The Awesomes, Bob's Burgers, and Central Park. In our chat, she shares how she got her start as an assistant editor and worked her way up to lead, as well as the ins and outs of being an editor, including what software studios use, who she reports to, how she makes cuts, and how editors are hired. But first, remember in last week's episode, I mentioned Magic Mind sent me a two-week batch of their productivity drink shots, which is supposed to be more energy-boosting, creativity-enhancing, and stimulating than coffee? Well, I have been drinking a shot every day instead of a cup of coffee, um, which is a little tough because I do like coffee. And here are my thoughts. I'm actually very surprised at how fast the shots work. Like, I feel jittery and pretty awake almost immediately like today after i took the shot i ended up doing my laundry and the dishes and a bunch of other chores um so i guess it is very productivity enhancing but i do miss holding a hot cup of liquid that i slowly sip in my hand so there is that um and i've also noticed that i just stay kind of animating focused for longer which is i'm not sure if it's a placebo effect or it's the drink Um, because, you know, I am conscious of doing this challenge, but uh, I'm excited to see how the rest of next week goes. And of course, if you're interested in giving Magic Mind a try as well, they're offering 20% off for one-time purchases and 40% off for subscribers of their drinks to listeners of this podcast. Just go to www.magicmind.co slash animation and use the code animation20. And I've included the links and more details of the offer in the description of this chat. So please go check them out. And now without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? (laughs) Good. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm good. Uh, You just told me before this chat that you have to go back into the office for the first time in many years. Tell me what it was like uh, being an editor on Central Park entirely from your living room for the last couple of years (laughs) for the last couple of years yes i am going back hopefully monday maybe earlier uh, later in the week depending on the technical setup um that they get going but we my husband who is also an animation editor um we've been home working in our dining room back to back uh for your backs are touching like almost our yeah like our desks like face (laughs) each other or in each other's Zoom chats um, all the time. And since March of 2020, 13th, March 13th, 2020, they sent us home and they were like, oh, we'll be, we're gonna shut down for a week. We don't really know how everything's gonna happen. Um, I had cut the first, I cut 201 for Central Park, the animatic for 201 in the office. And I was prepping, 202 and we got sent home and so all of season two and all of season three of central park has been cut from my dining room slash office that's crazy how okay so i'm not an editor but i imagine it's a very almost collaborative process where you're in touch with the director and the producers and the i don't know storyboard and music and voice and everything all the time is that is that So how is it uh, doing it? Like, are you excited to go back into the office because it'll be much easier? Or did you kind of reach a groove state? Uh, 
well, we're doing hybrid. So I'm, I'm excited to have the flexibility. Um, I'm a mom. So being able to like work from home, if our nanny is sick, or if like, we have to take our child somewhere, children somewhere, it's like, it's, it's nice to have flexibility and then to be able to come home at a specific yeah. time and like do bedtime and then like finish up work if I have to. Um, so I, I do like the flexibility to be able to do some from home, but I, I am so desperate to get back into the office where it is quiet yeah, like get me away from my screaming kids and my partner. <laughs> get me away from my children in the most loving way possible. Um, but we we've been having all of our edit sessions over Zoom, yeah. which is fantastic. But you can always like you just you can always tell that something's going to be different in the room. And and my show was super chatty. My husband's show was less chatty at first and they got to know each other and now they're more chatty and but the showrunners of both of our shows uh are writers on bobs so they are really good friends so sometimes we would be having dueling zooms and my showrunners would be like hey like through coming out of my ipad into my husband's ipad and they responded and it's like oh my goodness there's a lot going on um and so it, it was really complicated and we, you know, got some scheduling things worked out <laughs> once we were going to be home for a while. They're like, okay, we can't schedule them on the same day to have these long edit sessions because they just take so long. Um, so we, we got some of that worked out, but, wow. but yeah, like he has, he'll, he'll have a, like he had a lock today and I, I was like doing work just with my headphones and I'm like, it needs to just be a little bit quieter. <laughs> Oh no! Just, I need to be able to like get some stuff done, and then he says the same about me. Like ours are really chatty. Ours are like super chatty, and he's just like seriously. They like went off on this tangent. I was like, I'm working. I'm just like I'm mocking up. We're, yeah, we're, we're making money so our kids can it's like. Funny. It's fine. <laughs> um. Okay, that's that's hilarious. I'm just picturing your Zoom participants <laughs> talking at each other, which is like some kind of meta hilarious situation. But I'm wondering, you know, um, you worked from home during the pandemic and the pandemic and Corona and Zoom opened up a lot of remote jobs for other people. For instance, like I'm animating on a, a project that's actually out of Texas, but I'm in Toronto, which wouldn't have been a thing a couple of years ago. So how yeah. common is it for editors to be hired remotely after kind of this experience? Or do you still kind of have to you know, pick up your bags and move to the studio that you'll be working for? I definitely think remote, if not full remote, definitely a hybrid is going to be the norm. Um, there was already workflows in, I mean, it really just depends on like software and stuff, but like Blackmagic had a really, really good remote workflow before the pandemic. And now they've mm. sort of improved on on that one specifically it sort of depends on like the size of the show as well. Like you can easily cut a doc with a smaller workflow in cloud-based storage remotely. And so a lot of that is happening. Smaller shows are able to um, hire people remote. Also people like I'm in Los Angeles. So people who lived in Los Angeles and their shows went full remote and aren't coming back. They can move if they want. Um, a lot of people have, there are some people on our show that have moved, um, full-time sold property in Los Angeles and gave up leases and are just like, I'm going to live somewhere else. And, and they do, and they have to be on LA hours for work typically is like the norm is you work the hours of the studio you're working for. Yeah. 
for a lot of um, more specific jobs. Like editorial has very specific deadlines, but we also have large expanses of time where we just have to work and like move forward doing things like the actual editing. Obviously as an animator, you totally get that. Um, that kind of work can be done sort of whenever we want, but like the deadline doesn't change. Um, we have almost all of our storyboard artists um, for, well, so like the, the side of Bento Box that I'm in um, is the side run by Lauren Bouchard or um, EP by Lauren Bouchard, who uh, show, uh, show runs and created Bob's, Bob's Burgers. Um, and like almost all of the storyboard artists on this side of Bento Box are gonna be full remote. We have a couple of animators that did wanna come into the office, probably for a faster internet connection, but <laughs> so many, so many people have chosen to either do hybrid, which yeah. for us is two days a week or fully remote. And we beefed up our Slack. I mean, they even do, you know, like company bingo over Zoom to like keep people engaged and, you know, it's just really nice that you can now have an option if like yeah. living in Los Angeles doesn't work for you. Totally. I mean, there's so many people that I talk job. to where the only option when they were growing up was to move to LA. So they like, you know, but yeah. like busted tables or whatever that is. I don't, is that the right saying? <laughs> yeah. Bus tables. Yeah, bus, bus tables, tables until they yeah. made it. And now Before like people these days are just like, Oh, I just go online and apply and somebody hires me, which is interesting. Okay. So congratulations on going back and getting a hybrid. Uh, you know, that's exciting. Hopefully it happens for you because it's what you want, but take me back. You know, you started in, well, you were born and then somehow you became yes, an editor for, uh, things. How did you, how did you get into this in the first place? I, uh, I mean, I, I'm one of those people that was like, Oh, I love TV. I love entertainment, but that could never be my career. Like you just never, I grew up, I was born in Florida. I so a normal person who was like, I like normal TV. Person. I'm just like, <laughs> I love it. People do those jobs, but like, there's no way that I would ever do those jobs. Like, no, I'm going to work in a bank or I'm going to do both. Like, I just like, I just sort of assumed yeah. my life would be something else. And I went to University of Georgia um, and I graduated in 06. So I was, I was there before it now has a very robust, um, entertainment media studies program. I was there before that. You were the um, founder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exa I like to say that too. Um, <laughs> I was, I'm a telecom major. Like that's what we were called. You either were broadcast or you're a telecom and broadcast, you wanted to be on camera and telecom, you didn't want to be on camera or you didn't get into broadcast. So how did telecom um, lead to you working at a bank? Is <laughs> so <laughs> I, I didn't know the bank idea was mostly in like middle school or high school when I was like watching Buffy and Felicity and Dawson's Creek and being like, Oh my God, I love TV. I was a full on teeny bopper. Like I perfect age for it. Like loved everything about appointment television at that age, which was like Buffy the vampire slayer and Dawson's Creek. And then the OC that was like the sort of the next um, stage of that. But like, it was, you could not tear me away from the television at that exact specific time to watch those shows. Love them. Um, but yeah, I just had no idea. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh, what do I want to do? 
I had no idea. So I was just like, maybe I'll do journalism. Cool. Then journalism became production 1101 and production 1101. I was like, I mean, they have classes for this. Like people have to do these jobs, right? Like I'll just, I'll just keep doing this. It'll be fine. Um, I completely thought I was actually going to end up as a news director because our news source broadcast program sort of fed into CNN in Atlanta. A lot of people got jobs and I was like, oh, maybe I'll get be a news director. It'll be, it'll be great. I did not get a job as a news director in Nashville when I had to move home right after college. And I could not, despite all of my applying, couldn't find any job in news in Atlanta. So I waited tables in Nashville. I lived with my parents. And about a year after we graduated, um, my a friend of mine from college, there were like four of us who did telecom, just became really good friends. Uh, she was like, so we had talked about like moving to Los Angeles in five years. Do you just want to go now? And I was like, yes, I do. I'm waiting tables. I could be waiting tables in Los Angeles. Like I can do that. I'm not doing anything here. So about two weeks after that conversation, packed the car and just like drove. And I got a internship during the day because I was thinking I can be a producer I can do that. I'm very organized. That is so not my skill set. Yeah. Ultimately, I found that out. Um, but I had an internship with a producer, and I um, my first job was night logging for the real world, which is basically watching footage that, that has been laid to tape and logging what happens in the footage every minute it's like watch a minute of footage type in like the excel filemaker pro pilotware uh software what happens next cell like that just for nine hours at night <laughs> that sounds <laughs> what is that used for this is raw footage it's not like uh yes, it's okay it's so been laid to tape some of it's been like they it's like if they went out you know, if the cast went out, we, I was a real world Hollywood. So like if the cast went out drinking, partying, they had like um, all the cameras going, they probably, there's a bat cave in the real world house and they like go through the footage there. And like, if they're out for four hours, but then nothing really happens for two of those hours, they might only lay off, you know, two of those hours to tape for us to log. And the others just sort of like, maybe they eventually come in or they get digitized, but they're not like, so, what they think so you're telling me every reality show has, and maybe more, has some uh, student, some uh, poor student in a cave watching every minute of footage and typing out exactly what happens so that somewhere an editor can be like, where's the drama? And there's like a highlight on cell 5,000. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Because I always wonder yeah. how they go through hours and hours and hours of some footage and don't lose their minds. They may, they pay somebody to lose their minds for them. They, they pay someone to lose their minds. And like it's it called logging. It has become story producing. So like what we were creating went to story producers and we had to use very specific buzz buzzwords. So every, every person has a code name. So like one of the cast members names was Sarah. Her code was SS. So like they could just do a search for like SS if they needed an SS storyline or whatever. Gotcha. So like we had to put very specific buzzwords, excuse me, 
Um, so everything could be sorted yeah. in basically an Excel spreadsheet in these cells. Nowadays, uh, APs and story producers, like the loggers, it's like a, it's like a first job that you get at any reality company. And there are now even some story producers that are on Avid on non-union shows and they like go through footage. They do all the markers. They make string outs for the editors, like, wow. like tons of footage to go through. The editor doesn't have to do it. I mean, I worked on a show um, that had like five boats. Each boat had three cameras and the cameras were going for 24 hours a day. Like that's just a lot of stuff to like. So you're like, so-and-so makes a sandwich. It's peanut butter and jam drops sandwich, picks up sandwich, eats it anyways. uh, Starts a fight. Okay. Wow. So, okay. So you're in LA, you got your dream (laughs) job and that's the end of the story. How did you move from that into editing specifically? I mean, it sounds like you're kind of at the, the bottom rung of where editing starts. How did you make the move up to assistant editor? So I, um, after that uh, season of Real World, World ended, I applied around to be a post PA and I got a job um, at a big reality company that did the show Ghost Hunters. And I was a post PA there like in general for a little bit um, under like different post departments. And I didn't know Avid. I, I knew Final Cut and I knew some Premiere, but this was pr- before Premiere was what it is now. It was not it's like definitely third, not user intuitive. No one really. It's still not it, user, but I knew intuitive. how to do it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a fair point. Um, so, but I didn't know Avid, and so I was like, well, I got before I can be an assistant editor, I got to learn Avid. So I started making friends with the assistant editors and whatever they could teach me, I would absorb. Yeah. And I I made friends with the assistant editor on Ghost Hunters, who is now one of my best friends. She's my neighbor. Our kids play together, and she taught me avid and was just like this is what you have to know she had gone to usc and majored in editing she knew it she was classically trained awesome learned it from her and she pulled me on as digitizer for ghost hunters and then i just worked my way up until i was editing ghost hunters how long did that take uh five years five years wow yeah so this so it was a small show so but still, five but years is a hard. long time to spend in your career. Was that entire time you were like actively working to the editing role? Or were you just like, let's yeah. see where this takes me? Like, you know, I'm in TV and I didn't think I would be like, tell me, tell me what you were thinking and determined to do during those five years. That's a long time. Yeah, I, it's a long time, but it's, it's like kind of short. If you're to ask a lot of people, like, how long did it take to go to from AE to editor? Sometimes it could take like 10. It just sort of depends on like, where you are I I didn't move around um I always justified that it was better for like my mental health to not have to look for a job every like eight to 12 weeks than always get paid like whatever the top rate was I was like I would rather know a paycheck was coming and I'm very comfortable in what I'm making. I love my job. I like the people I work with. I don't want to have to look for work constantly. There's yeah. very like stress on my mental health. So I stayed at a company for five years when a lot of people jump around in reality. And so I was able to really establish myself on ghost hunters and I worked my way up um, to was cutting 
I was cutting scenes. I was cutting web material. I was associate editing for like a year and there was an extra spot. And so I, I asked, I was like, can I, can I do it? And they're like, sure. And so I cut a couple of episodes of ghost hunters. Um, and then I, I was like last in. So first out, I knew that. And I was sort of like, okay, so this is ending. I have to go look around at other companies. And I went to a housewarming party. But with sorry, my then boyfriend. Wait, wait, wait. I did, okay. Uh, maybe I'll come back to you, but continue this story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I went to a housewarming party. Yeah. Um, as I was, you know, thinking of how I was going to find my next job. And at that party, um, was a producer that I was introduced to and she and I like love at first sight this <laughs> this woman is like still a really good friend of mine she is hilarious we just clicked and she she was like oh my gosh like you're hilarious and I was like thank you I also <laughs> think I'm hilarious <laughs> And she was like, I think you'd be a really good fit on this team that I'm putting together for this show called The Awesomes. And I was like, I have never worked in animation. I knew that it was, so the housewarming party was for an animation editor, Chris Fitzgerald, who was actually cut the first season of Central Park. Um, so I, I knew this was an animation and my then boyfriend at the time, now husband, had just gotten a job on Bob. So this was like bento box work people. And I was like, I've never worked in animation. I just want to like lead with that. So, you know, I'm not trying to dupe you, but I absolutely want, want this job. Like, what do I have to do? And basically she was like, do you know Abbott? And I was like, yes, that is like the easiest question you could have asked me. That is like the only thing I know. If you tell me that animation is cut on Abbott, like, cool. That's all I know. And she was like, that's, that's all you need. Like, are you willing to be an assistant editor? And I was like, yes. Even though I've been editing, I was like, to change genres can be a difficult jump. So I was like, if somebody's offering a change in genres, like I would love that. I, any experience I can get, I would love to do. And so she was like, cool, <laughs> let me run this up the food chain and you come in for an interview. And I was like, okay. And then I got the job. <laughs> like, and the other producer, Janelle, who's uh, an EP, on Bob's and I, I work very closely with her now. Like I met with her and Srani and we just all clicked and wow. I'm still working for Janelle now. Like it's, it's amazing. Um, that is quite yeah, so that was random how you randomly meet somebody at a, although, you know, the house party was for an editor, your boyfriend was an editor. You can assume there's going to be some people in the industry. Some there. people there. So you could have called this an, 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 an industry event, housewarming, but no, still, that's crazy <laughs> that a conversation just hit it off and you're a nice person and and it worked out. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. I want to dial it back just because I, I, the question I was going to ask you was those five years where you were going towards editing and then you finally got editing, how did, how did that moment feel where you're like, I'm, I'm responsible for this, for this episode. I'm not just, you know, associate or whatnot. Like, how did that feel? I, it's, it's like hard to put into words because I never, I was always like, oh, I want to be an editor. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't ever picky on like what I wanted to edit. My husband was always like, he's very like specific like content things. He's like editing this would make me happy. I don't want to edit this. You know, he's, he's more specific on like 
the content. I never was. I was like, I love that in reality. I mean, the thing about ghost hunters is like, we had story producers, but we didn't have the story producers like I was a logger. So we did have to watch all the footage. And it was a lot less footage for ghost hunters because they're very specific on what they filmed. Um, but like watching the footage, meeting with the other editors, looking at the big wall of note cards and like figuring out the episode, like like you can't you can't duplicate that. You can't beat it. It's just like I don't know. It was great. It was like such a rush. And then people just like left me alone in my edit bay because I was editing. When I was the assistant editor, it was like constant barrage of people. Everyone needs something. It's like, you know, someone emailing me, someone knocking on my door, everyone needs something. Everything's about prioritizing and figuring out like how to balance fully supporting a team at the time of like 10 to 14 editors, four story execs, an EP, and then whatever the network needed. So it was a massive team and everything was just constantly go, 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 go. And I became an editor in that first Monday after we had like our editors meeting and we sort of assigned out what we were going to watch. And, and they're like, okay, we'll go watch it. We'll meet on Friday. I was like, that, <laughs> that's it. Like I just get to go sit in my bay for nine hours and like create. That sounds it was, awesome. It's an amazing feeling. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I'm wondering also, did now that you're an editor, a full blown editor, uh, some people have the opinion that you can be like naturally talented and gifted. Do you, do you think you should have, you had to go through those five years experience to really understand how to become a good editor and know kind of what is needed and expected and to make a good show? Or can you kind of jump right into it from, you know, I don't know, you're editing your own stuff on like YouTube and whatnot. It's definitely possible to be a natural. It's definitely, I mean, like I, there, there's a flow and a pace Yeah. and, you know, some, like sometimes it can just click and then you just like know what to do. Sometimes it's a happy accident where you end up like, you know, putting a cut. It, it's all sort of a mix, but there are things to learn and like my my biggest growth is when I like fully understood the tools that I was working with and like what can Avid do once I figured out like what Avid could do I could make it work for me and it's not just a choice of where you put a cut but it's how you build everything out in animation especially because we're we layer everything like every single one of my shots had multiple takes where I picked and chose because we were so desperate to not have to send retakes. We, like Central Park just didn't have the resources to be able to retake everything that we wanted to. So we had to like pick and choose in how we used our animator resources. And so like all of the shots, they were like, Stephanie, do you think you can fix this? And I was like, uh, yeah, let's try it. So all the ones that I was tasked to fix were just, you know, mats and animats and masks all on top of each other. And so it's like, I can be a technically good editor because I know what tools I'm using, but something that's sort of harder to teach is, you know, where do you put a cut on a sting out? Where do you, like, how many breaths do you need before you change scenes? Like there's, there's, you just have to feel it sometimes and it's not, yeah. It's it's very possible to learn. What's but a sting it's out? It's also possible to be a natural. A, like um, 
if you're changing scenes and you have like a little music cue, it's like, boom. Oh, I see. So it's like, so what would you say are the main skill sets of, you know, being a really sought after amazing people want to work with you editor, then you mentioned, you know, using knowing, well, Avid got you your job in the first place. So yeah, being familiar with the tools, and then the sense of timing, and like, what, what else is on your toolkit that people are like, we gotta, we gotta work with Stephanie. <laughs> Hopefully people are saying that. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, in my opinion, if you are an editor and you only like want to do one kind, wanting to do like one like kind of show versus being able to sort of like be a chameleon, yeah. two very different things. Like if like you I only do, do horrors. Like only specialists, I can only do very specific things. Like I would always want someone like that to be able to broaden their um, toolbox, so to speak. Um, but you could be a chameleon and it's like, you know, sometimes jobs are like, oh, you need reality shows do this all the time. It's like, oh, you need food show experience. It's like, or competition show experience. And you don't really need a lot of experience in stuff like that. If you're willing to like do the research, like watch a lot of food shows and like, you can understand the pacing of them. Like, it's not, it's not hard. Sometimes yeah. they want people to hit the ground running so I can understand that. But like, you know, animation versus reality versus scripted features, like an editor can do any of it because editors are chameleons. It's just a matter of like direction, first of all, like tell me what you want and I can make it. Like you want me to make, you know, a scene in Central Park, a horror movie? cool I can do that like with the current footage like I can, I can do it I can darken it I can you know add in my own stings I can pace it differently for a different mood like you can do that because editing allows you yeah to do that I'm um so I don't know it's like being a chameleon is probably like the best thing and I really hope that I can do that I spend a lot of time practicing pacing and watching the shows back hmm. um because a show like Central Park, for example, like it's an ensemble cast and everybody brings their own energy to it. And every character is, um, it's like specific in what they bring to the radio play, which is just the dialogue exchange. Um, and you sometimes don't know what you have until you start listening to final dialogue. So, I mean, we paste the show in animatic, we paste the show when we get color, we paste the show when we rewrite it in color. We paste the show at all these different places. And then we put in ADR and like the whole show could change. Like yeah. scenes could change. You put in frames, but like of breath in a performance and it can change like the mood of something so dramatically. You just don't know until you have it in front of you. And it's one of the the most fun things totally i mean it. something you said was interesting to me about the chameleon thing like you know i'm sure you have a knack for say like you know maybe you're better at writing comedy or editing comedy than you are like action or something how do you study the different genres of tv shows and movies and pacing like do you just watch things and you're like cut okay cut oh they cut on that okay now they cut like are you just are you, is that how you watch media i mean yeah a lot of it 
So like you have a horror scene coming up and you'll like watch a horror movie and be like, okay, this is how they cut it. Like a slow burn on this shot. And then like a fast, you know? Okay. Um, Interesting. Also, um, uh, I had another question and just escaped my mind, but (laughs) um, you know what? Okay. Other than just cuts, what are the other tools available to you? Because everything is kind of given to you, you know, the ADR, the, the music, like you're, like is is cutting the only kind of physical task that you do? Maybe you can explain the editing process a little bit more and what you do. Yeah, um, technically, yes, but it just it's a lot. It's like it's yes, but no. You know, editors are creative voices in their own way, and sometimes it depends on the showrunner. Sometimes it depends on the EP. It depends on the company that you're working for. It depends on the show. Sort of what level um editing can elevate to in the creative process animation lends itself to a lot of that um for the most part i mean animatics um animatics for television are short if you were to ask someone who cut a pixar movie where they do most of their work their answer is in animatic they're in animatic like three years two years and then they get color and the animation is so intricate and so beautiful and so specific and it takes so long to do that you have to know exactly what you plan to do and obviously there are rewrites and changes even in the biggest movies but it's still even if you rewrite four massive scenes in a movie like Frozen so much of that is still there and that animation can be used. Um, Our animatic process is like eight weeks for an episode. And that's eight weeks of the artist work on like the artists have to draw everything. They have to like figure out from thumbs to story, like story and thumbs and uh, storyboard it out. And then, so they get a couple weeks of storyboards. It comes to editing, editing paces, figures out a couple of things, you know, sometimes too many poses are used. And when it goes to timing after editorial timers, well, they will try and hit every pose. So like if you have your hand here and then you have your, in the whole point is like to get here. But if there's like all of these in-betweens already, timers will try and hit all of those. And sometimes animation can get a little wonky. So we all want each department to be able to fully do their job. So as editors, we'll be like, well, let's maybe like remove two of those five. So they only have three poses they have to hit. And then maybe the timers can make that movement feel more organic. Hmm. Um, so we'll remove poses, fix technical things. You know, every show or movie has, you know, do's and don'ts for the style, like what style they choose to do how do they do their eyes how do they do surprise face everyone has the head turns all of these things can be like really really specific and intricate um and then we call technicals on props we have to make like we'll raise i'll be raising red flags and be like mm, the artists don't have the correct prop here can we provide the correct asset so that they can do their job because i notice it across four sequences that the violin that birdie has only has two strings instead of three. But I see all the sequences and not everyone else does. Editor right. sees everything in context. 
so I can, you know, sort of track some of these things to communicate and make sure that everybody has what they need to do their job. Um, So that's sort of editing in animatic. We, then we do like the final pacing. We, uh, then a whole bunch of technical stuff happens. We send it to track read and timing and all of our amazing um, design and background painters do their jobs and we ship overseas. When it comes back, we do another massive pacing pass. Um, and we change things and like I'll, I basically get to do what I want on my rough color sort of if I think somebody something came back and I really wanted a different thing if I want to like push in do close-ups change a couple of shots I sort of can do whatever I want nice. understandably within reason but usually like I since I cut my own animatics I know what I'm expecting an editor that didn't cut their own animatics may look at it and be like, mm, I really, I would have done a couple of different things here and maybe they changed more things. Um, but yeah, so I, I basically had you know carte blanche to do, except for cutting words. Nobody cuts words in television because the words are what we're here for. Like the writers wrote amazing words. It's an awesome radio play. Yeah. And like, we're just, we leave cutting words to the writers. <laughs> like you guys know how your jokes want to fall um so then after we do a rough color there is a rewrite basically just try and punch up jokes make sure things are still funny it's overseas for like 12 weeks so you have this script that was written now almost six months ago boarded sent overseas and now we're getting it back we're like is that joke still funny is that we all we all agree that that still slaps is that we all good okay fine and then we you know sort of do that um so they get get a rewrite um done we get it and then we have to conform so when the rewrite comes in i basically have to be like can i make picture work (laughs) let's try it um sometimes i need new shots new shot setups look at sort of what we have and assess if it'll work, if we need something bigger, then we will talk about it in a big edit session that comes next. Um, And then we have that big edit session and that is where we lock it for content. That is like all the words. Those words are the ones that we are going to air. Picture has to catch up. After we do that, we go into a lock after we have ADR all recorded because that content lock is what we call it. solidifies the words and that's what they send to record and we record ADR for anyone that we didn't pick up or if we needed new things because of a rewrite um then we lock and then we send it to retake animation and that is where our awesome in-house animators basically conform things they make adjustments they merge all the shots they like I mean they just like do everything that we need them to do without having to send it overseas they're so talented um and then we package it all up and deliver it. So editorial does a lot of like contextualizing on our Tickle Boat shows. You know, like I said before, we're like, we're the only ones that see everything yeah. as a cut other than the creatives who are thinking about the words. So I'm making sure stuff tracks from shot to shot because animators are only work by shot, you know? And so, our in-house animators may make it assigned a shot and then someone else is assigned the shot right next to it. And if we haven't told them how stuff has to hook up because 
they, they don't know. They're not looking at it in context. So we have to provide them with everything that we can so that they can work fast and as well as possible. So I, I do a lot of that. And wow. on top of that. <laughs> what a process. Um, I've, I've heard uh, kind of that editors have like the most stable kind of job in the animation industry. Is that is that true? Because you're there for so long and you can, can control the process a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Central Park was three seasons. I started March of 19 and I've right. never taken a hiatus. Perfect. Wow. Great. Yeah. Amazing. It's just sort of. <laughs> how do you go? And it takes. It takes a year to do one episode about like that's about how long it takes in full um to cut one episode of an animated television show wow that's insane i didn't think it was that long <laughs> how do you make tough decisions along the way where you're like you know i have to fit this in 22 minutes but i've got 24 minutes and you know everything is perfect uh the humor is great how do you squish down something how do you make those tough decisions those tough decisions usually fall to the showrunner or, mm. or the writer showrunner in the case of CP, our writer's room. Um, we were picked up in specific ways. So our writer's room wasn't there. And it was just the showrunners doing all of the writing creative decisions. Um, the, if you get to a point where you're like a minute and a half, two minutes over, like words have to be cut. It's just how it has to happen. And um, sometimes those words are cut in an edit session and we can talk about things and, and track exposition and what, what's really needed. And other times those are cut on paper and we'll receive paper cuts and uh, take a pass at, um, excuse me, take a pass at the timeline and see how much time that got us back and where we sort of stand. and. And hopefully, you know, when we get to lock to time, it's still still as good as it was. How many editors are, are working on Central Park at one time? You and it was just me. Just you. Just, just so you're the editor yeah. for every single episode. Wow, that's yeah. some crazy responsibility. Are you just in your emotions constantly? Because you have to like feel out moments throughout the, sh the show, like, you know, like get into like, this is a humorous moment or this is a scary moment or a serious moment. Are you just like, are you emotionally exhausted sometimes? Sometimes. There are definitely the, the days where it's emotionally exhausting. I um, My husband sometimes makes fun of me because I can emotionally compartmentalize extremely well. Um, but you know, sometimes episodes like hit differently. There's an episode of Central Park. Um, it's the eighth episode, which I think, I think it, it drops this, this Friday. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a really emotional episode and um, it's about race. And it's not something that CP had ever really touched on before but it's a biracial family it was very important and you know deciding and figuring out emotional moments during this and like really allowing Leslie Odom Jr.'s um, performance to lead so much of this um, that was that was when we were all a little in our emotions during that because we were like we're a, we're a funny family show 
is a very serious subject matter. How do we approach this subject matter matter of factly, emotionally appropriately, um, but still have the humor that Central Park is yearns for and like what our audience comes to watch every week so how do we sort of make that balance and so that 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 was a tough episode and we were all sort of feeling a lot of um things constantly and everything was sort of changing um on a dime and then there was an episode that's uh 310 i think it's still airing as 310 they are production order and airing order is sometimes out out of order um but but it is a it is where the family becomes super fans of a K-pop group. And I don't think I have ever laughed so much while working on like an actual conform where I'm like, there's new audio coming in. Every, everything was just like, oh, that's a funny one. <laughs> just like putting stuff in. I was like, oh, I, I know what picture I want to use for that. Or, you know, everything was so funny. Then watching it down again at the end, everything was still funny and you know that one was, was the family really stayed together so it was funny but it was still emotional and how they all like supported each other in this like crazy fan dumb um and then the music was just awesome it's just really Amazing. money candy peed in my bathroom is the name of a song wow, in okay. that episode <laughs> so money candy is the band I see. Okay. (laughs) It sounds like you are having such a time in this role, you know, thinking back to early days, Stephanie, just watching Buffy and wanting to work in a bank and then ending up in telecom and reality (laughs) TV and now animation. Have you arrived? Is this, is this your thing now? Or is there something still that you're yearning to work towards? Like, oh my gosh, I don't even, I don't even know what more I could want to be perfectly honest like (laughs) I love my job I love working animation I didn't I didn't know anything about animation obviously and yeah do you have to know anything about animation to edit animation at all like no I personally don't think that you do (laughs) um I don't think that you do because that's how I I got there but my assistant um my my assistant editor Matt Parkone I knew him from working in reality I knew how organized he was. I knew how good he was at his job. So I was like, this is an asset. We have to hire him. We hired him a week before we went home for the pandemic. I had a week in person to teach him the language of animation because that's really all that's different. Yeah. What does that mean? So, you know, you're in reality and now you're animation. What is the language of animation? Why is it such a big jump? It's, I mean, knowing what people are talking about first and foremost, everything is very frame oriented. We talk about feet and frames and how stuff has to shift and like, oh, it goes to track read and timing. And, you know, these are shots. These are scenes. These are, you know, it's just like, this is what takes are like all of these things that are not normal language and how things are referenced. Um, When an assistant editor in animation cuts and retakes, what we would call it in uh, unscripted is overcutting footage. That's how you would say it. it's like, oh, we have new footage. We would we overcut it. So that means you have to be frame accurate. Go to the frame. Go to this frame. You're overcutting it. It's the exact same thing, but it's a new gotcha. version of it. So the language is totally different. Is the timing the or different. or anything like that changed too much? 
a little bit. I mean, animation takes longer to make an episode than reality. I mean, reality, you're looking at eight weeks to rough cut, maybe a week to two weeks, depending on the network for a fine cut. And then you get to a lock cut maybe two weeks later. So you're looking at 12 weeks until it has to go online. You're looking at like 52 weeks yeah. <laughs> animation before something you know, gets to those parts of post-production just under 45 weeks before it gets to a part. So there's definitely every milestone has urgency in animation because our schedules are so jam-packed and there's so much that has to get done and so many departments are affected. So things have to stay on schedule. But I have never once in animation been asked to like stay until midnight to make sure that, that something got finished and done because somebody was definitely watching it at 12 15 a.m yeah no like someone will watch it tomorrow morning so just finish it tomorrow morning like it's not you know so what's keeping you in animation would you ever go back to live action not unless <laughs> i couldn't find an animation job i think i gotcha I so you're living the dream right now it sounds I love like it. there's i am I do. amazing it fulfills both sides of my brain like there's a creative side which is the editing side and then the organizational see everything in context communicate with all departments sort of like oversee a lot of these things coming in and out because everything goes in and out of editorial so you have to like be able to communicate like that is this like other side of my brain that is really satisfied by animation yeah wow so um you know like what's next for you now that you are in uh heaven <laughs> <laughs> living the dream i don't yeah. know i mean i i'm on bobs for the foreseeable future um yeah. and then i am slotted for another project in march which i don't know a ton about but it is an adaptation of a of a novel um which will be something new mm. and more stylized um and then i don't know how long that will take but after that who knows i i would love to get onto sort of a long-running series that would be fun to be able to like really learn from every season you know central park season one was so hard and it was made so hard because we didn't know what we were doing or we trying. It was like so revolutionary to have a musical. No one knew what it took to make an animated musical. So we had to like figure it out. Yeah. So it was messy. And then season two, also messy, trying to figure it out, but learned a little bit from season one. So we're like, we're learning every season. By season three, we were running so smoothly because we had learned and like made adjustments and like figured stuff out and set protocols and boundaries and all these things that are, necessary when you are in chaos um and the thought of being on a series that you know goes for a while and be able to like learn and you know evolve yeah. together with a team is great i would love that so would I mean, you if someone wanted me to cut a pixar movie i would totally do it too but like you know of fine. course yeah of course if anybody's listening on pixar <laughs> of course, uh, here we go but you know you've kind of stayed animation. in adult animation and entertainment and well ghost uh hunters is like kids but like what if you were offered blues clues which has you know i don't know a thousand seasons and it's like a preschool show would you, yeah. would you be like yeah that's for me too or or like you kind of like dealing with more adult themes and comedy and whatnot 
I mean, I think, yeah, like if, if, if Bento didn't have a job for me and Blue's Clues did, I would totally do it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not, it's interesting to me that you say that, like, know. you know, what it yeah. makes sense that your job is easier once there's like a formula that's been established for a long time that you can just kind of like follow. I'm sure it's challenging, yeah, but also kind of fun <laughs> to start something from scratch. Um, but, you know, maybe as we're wrapping yes. up, let me just ask you this. If you were to fast track your career, you know, like you're dropped in the middle of a desert. Uh, with all the knowledge of this past editorial lifetime, where would you start to fast track yourself <laughs> to this position? Just for like, you know, somebody listening and they want to get into editing or they're in the process of getting into editing. Yeah. What would you focus on? Oh, <laughs> oh focus on. I mean, so I would, much. that is like, oh, that's like, no, it's like, if I had all the knowledge, what would I focus on? I would focus on meeting people. I would meeting focus on people. networking. Yeah. And that's terrifying for me. I am a, I'm terrible at networking. I'm not good at it. I'm very, very. Is there a way that you network that's easier for you now that you've discovered? Uh, no, nothing is easy. Oh, no. but I just force myself to do it. Well, listen, you're on a it podcast d- right now. Hi. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I am on a podcast, which was like great. And I love doing it, but I'm like so nervous all the time. I'm on a panel and I'm like on a panel again tomorrow. I just like, it's all I don't know. I just, it's all well, you're, very, you're putting yourself out there, which I think is important. Yeah. yeah. So, so but, networking is, is number um, one, like meeting people. Yeah. Networking is number one. Um, yeah. Because the, the thing for me is like, I would focus on finding the company I wanted to work for. Like, mm. who do you know at a company? What do they say work-life balance is like, what do they say, you know, job security is like, what are your days look like? finding a company I think is so important because there are companies that don't believe in work-life balance or there's some companies that say that they believe in work-life balance but they don't and like figuring out where you want to work or you know a producer that you want to work for I mean like it's how I am like I will I will work for Janelle as long as she will have me like I love working for her I love the (laughs) environment that she promotes at the company and Lauren Bouchard is the same way like them as EPs and showrunners Nora Smith like the way that they want these shows to run it it agrees with me (laughs) like I I like being a member of that team I like being here at the company um so yeah like do recon like moving out trying to figure out where you want to work like do recon I would definitely also be open to different genres even if you think oh i want to only cut something i only want to cut sci-fi you know you that's awesome you will be a better editor of sci-fi if you have a base of other things you know everything you can always bring something new you can reinvent pieces of what you're doing when you finally get on your sci-fi show or movie based on experience that you've had cutting other things. So um, focus and specialization is definitely important to like know if that's what you want. So you always have a goal, like think about that as an end goal, but don't say no to things that come your way just because they're not that, because everything you do can inspire you once you get to where you want to be. Okay, cool. So, you know, can connect with people, figure out where you want to work and have a really good base 
Uh, so you can be that chameleon or work on different things yeah. and up your game. That sounds good to me. Is there anything that we didn't chat about that you wanted to share as we're kind of wrapping up now? No, I think we pretty no? much covered it. We covered it, it all. Definitely watch Central Park. <laughs> watch Park. Central Park. Yeah, yeah, we covered it all. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure grilling your brain on everything thank editorial. You and, you know, I think it's, it's, it's super interesting that you kind of stumbled into this and, uh, You've also given me a lot of insight into the process that I didn't really know before. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I love it. <laughs> me had too. a good time. Thanks. Thank you. And if you're listening and you want to follow or reach out to Stephanie, you can do so by checking her out on Twitter under uh, Cheer Chirock. Is that how you say that? Cheer Chirock. Cheer okay. Chirock. Yes. Chirock. Which not uh, cheer okay. It's not cheer okay. It's Chirock on Twitter, Instagram, or Stephanie Chirac. Bowen er er Early on uh, Facebook and I'll include all those links in the description of this chat. And thank you so much for listening. That's all for now. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work.